Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intel, forecasts, and strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Ball. Thank you for being with us. This segment is brought to you by my company, Bull Realty. For customized asset and occupancy solutions, visit bullrealty.com. Well, we're continuing our coverage for COVID and how it's impacting the commercial real estate world, uh, how people are dealing with it, and what should we expect moving forward. One of the uh, sectors that uh, I think is curious to see what's going on uh, during this COVID uh, experience, and here we are on May 6th as we're recording this, uh, is the single tenant net lease uh, investment market. You know, that's a property type that in past downturns has, has been very stable and not has as many issues. But as you know, there's been a lot of shutdown in this one. So let's see what's going on in that uh, market and what we might expect moving forward. Please welcome my guest. It's Alexi Panayotopoulos, and I think I pronounced it right. Alexi, thanks for joining <laughs> us, sir. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Great. And he's with uh, Fundamental Income. Um, and, um, you know, they, they track uh, REITs uh, and uh, single-tenant net REITs and, and then the different uh, property types within those REITs. And uh, they have a, a fund, a new fund uh, with about $500 million in it. So they're going to be buying some single-tenant net lease uh, properties. So you guys are really heavy in this sector. So tell me, uh, Alexi, you know, what, what is going on with valuations? let's say the property level uh, right now, not the, the REIT level, but what do you see for property level values right now? I know it's kind of in the middle of COVID, but are values kind of holding steady? Are they down a little bit? What do you see from your desk? You know, uh, I think it's a mixed bag. Uh, when, you, when you look at the broad real estate sector, obviously there's, there's multiple food groups, um, you know, your traditional food groups of, you know, multi, family, uh, industrial, office, retail, et cetera. But, you know, in this scenario, nobody really plans for zero customers, zero foot traffic, and there's no way to stress test for that. And so different uh, different sectors, including the retail sectors, have been hurt in, in differing ways. And, you know, net lease really is at the epicenter of the shutdowns across the country. And if you want to look at it, you know, roughly 40% of the net lease sector sits at uh, operations and, and property types such as restaurants and health clubs and entertainment, casinos, movie theaters, et cetera. Uh, and so with no customers, these companies that once were touted as completely internet resilient, if you will, and which was such a positive, um, are now being hit the hardest because customers can't walk through the front door. Now, we view this as a temporary headwind, uh, and, and so do you know most of the public REITs and private real estate owners because uh, office is being hit the same way. You know, you can't go to an office right now, uh, which is affecting people's ability to do work and affecting the entire office market as a whole. And so uh, from a valuation perspective, you know, we haven't seen um, fire sales of any kind. We haven't seen, you know, forced sellers yet. Uh, obviously, the Fed and the government have done a, a great job of of providing stimulus and support packages amongst these trying times. But you know, going forward, we do believe, uh, and we have um, a thought that the you know, American you know, population has a resiliency that will return um, once we're lifted from these stay-at-home orders. And so, you know, do we believe this is a long-term issue, uh, potentially, depending on if we can find a, a treatment or a vaccine and, and figure out how to return to the economy? Um, you know, there's, there's quite a bit of liquidity being pumped in from the Fed. Uh, but as this continues, 
the longer it goes, the duration can start to have an impact on, on actual underlying balance sheets and, and property values themselves. And, and you can see it in the public markets. You know, REITs in general, uh, if you look at it over the last three months, they've recovered quite a bit. Uh, but at, at one point, you know, they were down and off, um, you know, roughly 50 plus percent um, across the board. And they've now swung back because you have uh, a little bit of normalization in the market. But generally, the, the public markets will be a little bit more of a leading indicator than the private markets. And you don't have kind of that emotional sale uh, on private real estate because it's not as liquid. That makes sense? It does. And so you, you mentioned the REITs. So how are the net lease uh, REITs uh, performing compared to other REITs and into the, into the market overall? Yeah, historically, uh, and prior to this, you know, you mentioned it in the intro to the show, net lease REITs have been extremely resilient to downturns because they are based on long-term contractual cash flows with operating businesses. And, you know, when you have a 10 or 15 or 20 year lease, you're a little bit shielded from real estate cycles because you don't reset rents at the bottom. Um, and these generally tend to be profit center or mission critical real estate and, and key to a company's revenue. Um, right now with COVID, uh, it, it's a little bit tougher because, again, they can't generate revenue out of those properties. And so um, when there starts to be panic in the market, you generally see. Um, sellers and emotional sellers on the retail side. And then you also see, you know, companies and hedge funds that may have had margin calls and, and with big swings like this and, and short selling. Um, I think that was accentuated in, in end of February and March. Um, you know, at, at the low, the net lease REITs as a whole were, were down, you know, over 55%. And, and that was wider than the broad market. Uh, and mainly because the broad market was being propped up by cell tower REITs and data center REITs. Um, but, you know, if you look at malls, if you look at uh, multi-tenant office, if you look at healthcare, um, everything was down some of those 70 plus percent. So that lease wasn't the worst, but it was definitely hit as one of the worst. Now, you know, if you take middle of March and you look from middle of March to today, um, you know, how has net lease performed? Um, you know, if you take it March uh, 18th to, to today, uh, the net lease REITs have, have actually outperformed the broad market in the, the quote unquote, you know, snapback or, or recovery, if you like to say. Um, and a lot of that comes from pricing discovery and people realizing that not all of these properties are vacant and they're not all going to stay vacant um, forever. And so you, things kind of normalize and there's a little bit of pricing discovery. People start paying rent. The PPP loans went into effect, and if you think about it, you can use up to 25% of the PPP loan proceeds to pay rent. So indirectly, even though the small businesses are getting those PPP loans, they're able to directly pay their landlords to keep the space. Yeah, and let's hope uh, uh, a lot of that gets uh, done. And uh, Alexa, you guys look real close at the different uh, submarkets of single-tenant our, our net lease properties. So what do you see of those sub markets in, in net lease properties, which ones might be impacted positively uh, or negatively by a COVID moving forward? You know, there, there's still a lot of sectors in the net lease space that are highly resilient to COVID. Um, you know, we've seen uh, increased, you know, same store sales at many of the quick service restaurants and anything that has drive-through components, you know, I think people are generally 
social beings. And, you know, we can stay at home and be quarantined for a number of weeks, but at some point, everybody wants to get out, go for a drive, grab a coffee, you know, go have a drive through sandwich or whatever it might be. Um, and so you see QSR and, and that type of retail doing fairly well. Um, you know, you see uh, automotive and things that are more need-based, you know, tire shops and, and lube facilities and, and, and things that support people's daily lives because, you know, people are still working. Uh, and even though we may be stay at home, there's still quite a few essential businesses out there and people still have to get to work. And so the, the, the automotive support sector, if you will, or service sector um, has, has fared fairly well. Um, you know, obviously you can see the hiring news of all these distribution centers and logistics facilities. And so places in single tenant assets like, like e-commerce support facilities and, and supply chain assets like Amazon or FedEx or you know, distribution centers for Target, Walmart, et cetera, are doing fairly well. Um, you know, and beyond that, it, it, it's difficult right now to see further uh, until we have a better answer on COVID. Obviously, groceries are doing well, you know, things that people are, are using in their daily life. Um, but, um, you know, things that are more forward-facing, that uh, beyond kind of like the pharmacy, grocery, uh, gas station, QSR drive through and logistics facilities, you have some um, some serious pressure on things like you know movie theaters and uh, family entertainment and casinos, um, you know health clubs where people generally go on a daily basis and they're in larger, more densely populated areas. Right, and here we are at May six. So as you mentioned, it's a little hard to kind of see what's going to things could be different you know, in two months in a big way. But as you look at the market right now, you guys uh, know a lot about this net lease market. You're, you're going to be a net buyer here for, for many years. Uh, what do you see right now as, as a buyer? Are there certain things you're going to look for in, in properties or in the tenants in themselves or the locations uh, that may have be altered a little bit by, by this COVID experience? Yeah. So, you know, we, we went out to the market, um, last year and started this publicly traded net lease real estate ETF, which, which tracks the 23 publicly traded net lease REITs. Um, and then in January, we went out and partnered with Brookfield Asset Management uh, and received a $500 million equity commitment from Brookfield, uh, or fund managed by Brookfield rather, um, to go out and, and provide capital in, in this market. And really, we're looking to partner with these operators that are, are having headwinds uh, and challenges from a liquidity perspective. And so, you know, we've been talking to companies and, and advisory firms and brokers uh, over the last three weeks. We just launched April 21st. So we're a brand new platform. Um, and we're going to be, you know, looking to assemble a portfolio in the billion to billion and a half dollar range over the next call it, you know, three, five, seven years. Um, and we're really focusing on companies that have, have shown some resiliency uh, and can operate currently. But at the same time, we're also looking at companies that are in need. And, you know, part of this is really being that capital provider to fill the void between community banks uh, and institutional capital providers where there may not be liquidity. And, you know, we don't, we don't want to see American businesses go away just because of short-term headwinds and the inability to, to stop gap, you know, losses and, and, and lack of liquidity. Does that make sense? So, is that, so that's an opportunity to, to help these companies and I guess also kind of increase uh, yields for your fund then. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a very um, rare situation where you really do have, 
kind of a win-win where, you know, on one hand, you're doing the right thing. And on, on the other hand, you have a great partner uh, in, in Brookfield. And the capital they have is very long-term, you know, value-oriented. Uh, and they, we really are looking to generate um, positive returns for the fund, but we really can do so by doing good uh, in the capital markets communities and, and finding and being a cooperative, well-capitalized capital partner, because we really do want to partner with these operating companies. I mean, we're, we're talking now to a number of, you know, quick service drive-through concepts, automotive type concepts, multi-unit operators that they may have multiple locations. You know, let's say you have 25 drive-through coffee locations and you have loans on 20 of them. Well, you may want to, you know, pay down those loans and unlock static capital because you want to go buy a piece of land that you've been looking at to grow. Or, or maybe you're having a little bit of trouble from a liquidity perspective and, you know, you can unlock capital from your real estate without having to dilute and raise equity or without having to take punitive debt, um, you know, in the hard money or private money markets. Um, so we really can can be a long-term capital partner where we own the real estate and the operator focuses purely on their business and operations. And, and you've seen that now in the public markets. You know, you saw Bed Bath & Beyond do a large sale leaseback. Um, you know, you see Whirlpool come out and do a large sale leaseback. And, and there's a number of, of companies out there that really do use net lease as a source of efficient long-term capital. And, you know, if you look at the 23 publicly traded net lease REITs that sit in, in our, in our index strategy, um, net elf, you have companies like, you know, tractor supply and U-Haul and FedEx and Amazon and Dow chemical and Nissan and Darden, Sherwin Williams, Home Depot, et cetera. So it, net lease has really become a wide, widely used source of dedicated long-term capital um, for these companies. Yeah, I agree. I, I uh, in fact, I will put a link on the show notes to an article I wrote on um, the uh, benefits of a sale leaseback for companies. Uh, so, if any listeners wanted to uh, read that, um, Alexa, another question, maybe unrelated to to COVID, but uh, certainly related to the net lease uh, environment and and values, um, and that is, uh, how do you think lease accounting changes? Um, with uh, companies having to put these uh, leases on their balance sheets and account for them. Uh, how do you think that'll impact uh, the net lease uh, investment market? You know, I, I think it, it has a lot more to do with the type and structure of the leases. And you've certainly uh, seen people be more aware of it, but it really hasn't had too much of an impact um, so far. I mean, acquisition volumes remain strong. Uh, in the quarters following the, the lease accounting uh, rule change. Uh, and so, you know, going forward, I think people are definitely more cognizant and careful about it. Uh, and you're going to see them employ more efficient capital structures rather than, uh, I don't want to call it being reckless, but, you know, looking more so into how it will actually affect their balance sheet and income statement and their business overall. Have you seen some companies that, uh, that may be the lease accounting changes cause them to want to maybe have less lease property, more owned property or uh, shorter leases or does per, it per, personally I have not yet. Um, you know, it's still something that's being digested, I think by the market and remains to be seen. Okay. And um, what about financing right now for these, uh, sing, these net lease properties? What do, what do you see out there from your desk? 
at the moment? Yeah, in the last several weeks, you know, talking with the the brokerage and advisory community, which have their ear to the ground and are dealing directly with tenants uh, and buyers, um, you know, financing is tough right now. Uh, there's not a lot of capital that's actively available in the marketplace for um, the the larger assets. You know, in, in the 1031 markets, uh, things where people can maybe buy cash in the you know, 500,000 to $2 million range at a little bit more bite size. Uh, I think there's still some liquidity, um, but you know, when you get over that $2 million range, you start looking at financed assets, uh, you know, community banks, middle market banks, regional banks, national banks, everyone's taking a pause. Uh, you know, we've heard from many lenders that they're not taking new customers on and issuing new loans. Um, so that hurts, uh, you know, the 1031, Deadline was exchange deadline was extended into the summer in July, um, so people have you know slowed down and now that they may be taking their time to find an asset. Uh, and on the institutional markets, you know when you have companies that have you know been halved essentially or down 25, 30, 40 percent um, with with the market drawdown, that affects cost of capital, and so naturally um, that's going to gap out you know uh, debt debt spreads and equity spreads, which overall affects an underlying buyer's cost of capital, which then affects their ability to pay, you know, what previous market cap rates may have been. And so we, we've definitely seen some softness in, in cap rates. You know, what used to be purely a seller's market um, has kind of quickly switched here to uh, a 50-50 playing field. And, and if you have cash to close, um, people are valuing liquidity over price premium very quickly here. Yeah, well, it's very interesting. Uh, we do a lot of this type of work ourselves at, at our shop at Bull Realty, and we, we have one that we're talking to a seller right now, and, and they're a big company. They've been around a long time, but but their numbers are hit right now. Probably revenue's down 50%, and they want to do a sell lease back. So, you know, that um, it kind of looks like it falls into kind of what you do, and it'd be interesting to see, you know, how do you look at the stability of these of these companies you know, in the middle of May here, you know, yep. that must Absolutely. be tough. I mean, it, it is. And it, it's difficult, frankly, for anybody to price anything because, you know, if you're buying a, uh, you know, sit down restaurant that's not open, you know, <laughs> how do you know how it's going to open it? They may have had historically great sales, but it may take them, you know, one, two, three, four months to become profitable again. And, and now you're starting to run into supply chain issues. You know, you see fast food chains saying, that 18 to 20 percent of their locations have no beef, you know, and so if you can't sell a product, it's going to be difficult to bring customers in. And so, you know, what we've seen becoming a little bit more mainstay across the market is um, buyers are are asking for uh, some form of rent deposit or credit enhancement. You know, uh, rents I think are being reduced so that they're more um, stomachable uh, on a you know rent as a percent of sales basis, uh, you know, fixed costs. And so, you know, I think the whole market is kind of in this together and, and people understand um, that everybody's in a difficult time and, and underwriting and pricing are not something that are completely clear yet. Uh, and that comes on the financing side too. So when, it, when it's on the buyer side and on the lender side, um, you know, you kind of have a perfect storm going on right now. Yeah, yeah you sure do. And, you know, and, and the sell leasebacks to these companies that, uh, you know, are going to do well after the pandemic uh, could be a really good play for for investors and, and for, for those companies right now. Well, Alexi, great information, sir. Thank you for joining us today. Yeah, appreciate your time, Michael. It was very nice to meet you.
And if you'd like more information from them, uh, their website is fundamentalincome.com. All right, well, we're going to continue our COVID coverage of the different sectors and and, uh, what tenants are doing and what landlords are doing to deal with this and what to expect moving forward. So until next show, be sure you lead, learn, and laugh and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. the show? Consider referring business or doing business with our sponsors. Bull Realty is a commercial real estate sales, leasing, and advisory firm doing business throughout the Southeast, headquartered in Atlanta. Visit bullrealty.com for more information. Commercial Agent Success Strategies provides video training for commercial agents. This training gets five-star reviews from even the most experienced brokers. Learn more at commercialagentsuccess.com. You're invited to connect with us on your favorite social media. You can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Don't miss a show of special interest to you. Be sure and subscribe to the show on YouTube and Apple Podcasts. And at the show website, CREshow.com, you can subscribe for a weekly email announcing the show topic and guest. While you're there, you also found more videos and podcasts. Thank you for watching or listening to America's Commercial Real Estate Show.